It's time for a legendary introduction. Welcome to Unpacking the Box. I really think nobody does it better. Join the conversation as we cover everything from life and relationships. All a woman wants is a choice. Inspiring interviews. That just hit me. Wow. And everything in between. Just keeping it real. We keeping it all the way real. Whoa. Now let's start unpacking. This is Linnea, your host. This is Linnea, your host. Today, I am honored, so honored to be in company with two amazing guests. Uncle Selwyn Jones, co-founder of the Hope 929 Foundation and uncle of George Floyd, has dedicated his life to promoting civil rights and advocating for social justice in honor of his nephew's tragic passing. Joined by Liz Darden, co-founder of the Hope 929 Foundation and councilwoman, they are a powerful duo, y'all, committed to ending racism and making a lasting impact for future generations. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you both. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm really good. Yes, Renee, we are so excited to be here. Thank you for the grand introduction. Oh, you're welcome. I've been so excited to talk to you both because I love the work that you are doing. I, I see you. I was telling you before, Liz, I see what you guys are doing. You got you both are work, working so hard and we appreciate you for that. So can you share with us the journey of founding the Hope 929 uh, Foundation? Yes, absolutely. It is. So um, should we take them way, way back on how, how it all got started? I, I just started with, well, well, let me tell you. Uh, I'll take the first part, Liz, though. You take the second part. Okay, sounds I woke, good. I woke up at 25th of 2000. No, I woke up May 26th of 2020. And I sat in front of a television that I sat in front of every morning. And I saw something that I couldn't believe. I saw another African-American man being tortured by police officers in the middle of the street in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Little did I know that that particular individual was my big sister's baby boy. And I sat there in total silence as my mother-in-law was crying and my wife was crying. And I sat there and as of that moment, it threw me into protection and advocates, advocacy and help and sadness and, and disarray. And from that point, I knew that I had a calling and the calling was to help people that had mental health issues help people that were disenfranchised, help people that needed a hand up instead of a hand out. Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward a year later. Somebody calls me and they say, hey, man, 
there's a community in the park event in Harrison, Arkansas. Okay, man, where's that at? Well, I'll tell you a little backstory on Harrison, Arkansas. It has billboards that says racism is is uh, white people's genocide. It has billboards that say white power radio. It has billboards that says white is right. Mm-hmm. Would you like to come to that event? Heck yeah. Tell me where I fly in at. Because they definitely need to see a real person. And mm-hmm. I flew into Harrison, Arkansas, girlfriend. And I get out of the car and I'm looking. And there was nobody out there that looked like me besides the people I rode with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was a secret. Uh, nobody knew who I was. And this little lady comes on stage and she helped uh, help make the event. And this little person gets on stage and she uh, gets her award. And then she demands the mic, the mic back to her before she got off the stage. And she said some words of inspiration and power. And it made me have goosebumps on my arm to see somebody of her statue with that kind of fight and power. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. That was Liz Darden. Liz, you take it from here. Mm. I love yes. that. So as Uncle, yes, we have a very interesting story um, because meeting Uncle Selwyn at the Unity in the Community Park that I helped organize with the Martin Luther King Commission was a pivotal point in my life. You know, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, born and raised, attended the most diverse high school in the nation, and moved to Harrison, Arkansas 12 years ago to raise my children. My children are mixed and we have been falsely labeled because of the stains of hatred in the past, like many other Southern states mm-hmm. and also a nearby hate group. The KKK was established in a town nearby. So it put a false label of Harrison, Arkansas being the most racist in the nation. And there's been viral videos and comedians coming into town and, and just kind of mocking and trying to see for themselves what it's all about. But you got to really hear from the residents themselves and and people who've been here for periods of time and and what their experiences Mm -hmm. are. So I invite anyone who's seen those viral videos to come to Harrison and see that it is not racist. There there are racist people in every community in the United States. And it's a stereotype that's been labeled. So my job when I moved here, I I had a fear because I'm raising culturally mixed children. And instead of living in fear of What's the KKK going to do? What are these people going to think of me? What Instead of living in fear, I chose to take action. And I became an educator and got involved with the Harrison Task Force on Race Relations that was established 20 years ago to be a voice to counter the KKK. And so we've held marches and, and unifying events like the Unity in the Community event. Um, I joined the Parks, Parks and Rec Commission and this, just this past year became a councilwoman. Mm-hmm. And just to get more involved with the community and be part of this change. But that pivotal moment, meeting Uncle Salwin, led me into a whole career change. I was an educator. I taught second grade. Our first event outside of Harrison was in Dallas, where I heard voices of Dee Crane and other impacted family members. And it just pulled my heartstrings because I see a common denominator amongst 
families who've been impacted by police brutality. They're having mm-hmm. to conduct their own investigation. There's no resources. They're already grieving the loss of their child. And I'm like, okay, what can we do to help them? You know, I'm seeing a lot of other organizations trying to fight for police reform. And, and so we started an empowerment group and we ended up branching into building Hope 929 Foundation to, as a social justice outreach, but also we need to not just talk the talk. We don't need to just go to events and talk about change. We need to help change occur, implement mm-hmm. solutions. So we have four major branches in Hope and that's economic development and infrastructure, which is, I'm so excited because when he said, give a hand up, that is what we do. We give hand up for not necessarily just handing out things. Mm-hmm. We are giving people hands up, all marginalized groups, people that need affordable housing, people that need jobs, people that need community resources. We want to help build each community that we go into, give them tools to become more self-sufficient and more and build more equitable futures. We have a huge vision and we could go on and on about all we're doing, but that's just a little bit of the background. Mm -hmm. And you're doing a lot. I love the story of how, oh, go ahead. And reality is believe and dream, breathe, and deliver. Mm -hmm. Dream, breathe, and deliver. Most people have dreams, but in between the breathing and delivering, they get lost, and we're going to impact people's lives, and we're going to, and we're going to deliver a message. I mean, our mission is just to make everybody a productive member of society, no matter yeah. what your situations are. Right. People so deserve people second chances. They don't care. They do. Right. They do. And I people love that you want to feel like they belong. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with that because one of the things that I don't like and which is one of the reasons why I began my platforms, uh, because I feel like for me, I, I don't like how mainstream media depicts black and brown people when things like this happen. And just in general, as a whole, I don't like the narrative that they push because I don't know about y'all. I don't know anyone who doesn't have a past. We all have a past. The The different things mm-hmm. that we have you know, the severity of our past may be different. However, we each have a past, right? But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't define us. And it doesn't mean that we deserve to die because of that past, you know? So I don't like the narrative that gets depicted. And so, you know, I like you, you want to do something. And so I'm doing my part, but I, you guys are not only, you know, trying to do things, but you are doing it and you're making a change and you're impacting people because this is so imperative. We, I love that how you both are getting inside of the system because that is the only way that the change is going to occur. So I, I really love that. Yeah, let me- let me tell you, everybody has got, and ha- everybody has done something that they could stick their head in the ground, like right. ostrich, cover your head, you know. But reality is, what are we if we cannot give somebody a second chance? What are we if we cannot develop situations so people can have second chances, dear? And that's the problem with reality. A lot of people don't have any empathy for others. A lot of people could care less. A lot of people are selfish instead of selfless. All I'm doing, dear, is I want to make a better world because I've got two little, uh, I've got an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. 
And I don't want them to have to go through any part of the life that we had to go through being African-Americans, mm-hmm. being biracial people, because I'm a, I'm a big dude with freckles. And in the early 70s, there wasn't any black people with freckles. Mm-hmm. You know, I got picked on. I got beat up. I got my head put in toilets and just a lot of horrendous things that happened to me because I looked like I look. Mm-hmm. And I always said to myself, one day, I'm going to be grown. You know, everybody, when you're a kid, I want to be grown. When I get grown, this is what right. I'm going to do. Right. And I did not realize that my path would end this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has, it, 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 I don't, I don't say it's the end. It's the beginning. The reality, right. righteousness. Right. We're in a pivot. Because, right. We're yeah. like in this, in this pivotal place in our society. And, and like you said, Linnea, that about getting into the system and, and, and seeing what the issues are around us. You know, we don't think that the pro- to solve the problems is to build more jail cells. I, I'm sorry, I just can't get with that because there's preventative measures that we can take with right. programs, implementing more programs, um, changing legislation, implementing things like the medical civil rights bill, also creating positive social bridges between the police departments and the citizens. So we yes. have a collaborative spirit in our organization where we're partnering up with um, existing organizations that have tools to help build those bridges. And then the educational side, we got to impact the youth. So we have a youth outreach and workshops and, and bring in speakers to motivate and help them utilize their creative outlet instead of getting involved with gangs or guns or violence, they have to have an outlet and they have to feel like they have a purpose and they have to know how to use their voice. That's one of the number one fears in our society of of even adults is is public speaking. So Mm -hmm. helping them uh, cultivate their confidence to be able to use their voice and speak up when something's wrong, because you see when George was murdered, the world came together, but there were still people that sat on the sidelines and just watched and did nothing. And yeah. if we keep doing that, what's going to happen? You know, the problems right. are going to keep perpetuating. So, yeah, yeah we, Linnea, we've got a lot of work to do, Renee. Yes. Communicate, communicate, educate, motivate. And sometimes you've got to irritate some people to make things happen. Mm-hmm. But that's what we have to do. Because there's a lot of people that just don't know, dear. There's yeah. a lot of people that don't know. There's a lot of people that want to know. When George died, there was two sides. You could go to the left, you could go to the right. Well, we forgot. There were people in the middle, and they had to make a decision of what they saw. Because for nine minutes and 29 seconds, he seen somebody go into a store that was laughing, dancing. And 15 minutes later, you seen him begging, crying, and dying. And for three days, the whole world knew, and they saw it for the first time, how people of color get dominated by power and control because of authority. Mm-hmm. And that literally shook up the whole world to say, my big sister, baby boy, you think. George Floyd. Yeah. George Floyd. And that was a movement, dear, that has never been done and will probably never be recreated. Mm-hmm. So we have to, uh, we have to trampoline off what he gave me 
and he gave me the opportunity to communicate all over the world to create educational programs so we can help people all over the world. Yeah. And he gave us an opportunity to develop community housing and jobs for people that don't have jobs so don't have people I'm at places to stay. So there from a horrific situation, we have made it an opportunity to make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, you know, every day, that's all we think about. We have calls coming in about different opportunities, and it's got to the point now where we think, honestly, me and Liz literally look at each other and talk to each other sometimes and go like, daggone, man, did we think we would stay in the park talking? <laughs> And it has, yeah, you know, something, yeah. man, man. It's amazing. What were, we thinking? what were we thinking? Yeah. What were we thinking? Well, we were thinking to make, to create change. Yes. And, and you are a woman of faith. Know. I'm a woman of faith. And I feel like we're, we're living out our purpose at this moment. You know, it took mm-hmm. me to step out and leave my security, what I went to college for, to provide for my children and go full throttle over the summer. And the things we've been able to accomplish just in the past three months. And the things we're getting ready, we're going to break ground in Harrison, Arkansas, and it'd be our first, uh, our flagship model of uh, a system that we're starting to talk about. I don't want to give too many details mm-hmm. before it's we okay. do our grand opening, but yeah, but we've, we've been we've been giving you a, a broad uh, a broad description of what we're doing. But it's just it's such an exciting time because people are open to having these conversations. And one thing about Harrison, Arkansas, and I want to applaud all the community efforts here is they've been willing to face that stigma, that, that stereotype and, and, and face and have those conversations and, and talk to organizations like the Martin Luther King Jr. Commission, who's been doing amazing work. The Arkansas branch is one of the most active Martin Luther King commissions in the nation. And Deshaun Scarborough is a big part of that. So thank you. If it wasn't for Deshaun, I would have never met uncle. So, and and he is that, that, (laughs) that that person that brought us together but yeah it's it's you know we're we're walking in faith with purpose and and we have an open mind to collaborate and help empower small businesses and and help elevate because we we have a huge platform we're utilizing we're not we're not taking advantage in a negative way we are utilizing the platform of george floyd Mm -hmm. through george floyd's uncle he's a huge inspiration and he has he has the ability to connect with people, and he brought so many people to our organization. And he's the he's the middle piece. He's the one that brought us together, and now we're just we're yes, overwhelmed. To be it. honest with you, and you both you it's both like, are doing what you were called to do. You're doing what you were called to do. Yeah, Linnea, you might I mean, you might understand this statement better than Liz, but Liz's been hanging around with me. She knows what I'm about to say. <laughs> This is like George and Weezy. We moving on up to the yes. east side. <laughs> moving on up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> We're trying to move everybody up to the east side. Maybe not a deluxe apartment, but maybe just an apartment. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Listen, you we'll know. take it. Okay. If it's an upgrade, you, you know, know it's all good. We'll take it. I love it. I it's love it. Yes. So I want to get it. Mama. 
<laughs> yes. So I want to get into the medical civil rights bill um, that you guys are working to push uh, for the passage of the uh, medical civil rights bill. So for those who are unfamiliar, can you tell us more about that bill and how it aims to address the issue of medical care during police interactions? Whenever there's an encounter with police, whether you're walking down the street or you get stopped in a car, whether you're in a mall, whether you're in a college, there is not anything that prevents them from taking indecent liberties with you at all. With the medical civil rights bill, my nephew would be living. Eric Garner would be living. Tyrese Nichols would be living. Because as soon as they acknowledge that something was physically wrong with them or mentally wrong with them, they would have to get them uh, at, um, they would have to get them under control and give the medical assistance in a timely fashion. So that nine minutes and 29 seconds, my nephew started hollering, I can't breathe, my neck hurts immediately. They would have had to got him under control and given him medical assistance. There's not one thing in the world that said that they can't approach you and kill you and it'd be their fault. Liz? Yeah, it's it, it would become the police officer's duty if an individual with any encounter had, was experiencing a medical crisis. It would be their duty to request medical assistance and give it to them, you know. And mm-hmm. right, it, it just, I was floored when I found out we, there's no law in place already, you know, right. pertaining to this. And and so we have a sentimental um, relationship with the bill drafters. We met Dr. Robert DeLui, who was... He had found a gene that healed certain diseases and just dedicated his life to humanitarian work his later years and drafted this bill with his daughter, Leonor. And we actually got a call on a call with him a few days before the um, a, a few days before the anniversary of George Floyd's murder. And they drafted this bill in Massachusetts in 2015. And they didn't pass it. Connecticut was the first state to pass it just this past June. And what we're doing is just talking about it. And and we have partnered up with other impacted family members who this bill could have been applicable to. And they're telling their story and, and helping to just support it. Um, there's no financial gain out of this. This is a humanitarian effort for Mm -hmm. everybody because it doesn't matter your background it doesn't matter what you look like police officers and i understand it can be scared in 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 situations and fearful and they want to go home too so it's this is important this will protect the people and it's just finding that common ground is what i feel like and yeah so we we actually visited um the memorial service for robert delui and at Boston Harvard Chapel back in May, um, a year later after his death, and finally met the Physicians Committee. This this bill was drafted from a group of physicians, Harvard professors, attorneys, just people that found it necessary to apply and hopefully get passed on a federal level. So we're mm-hmm. just we're bringing awareness to it is what our our mission is here. I love that because it's so necessary. And you're right. It should have been a bill. It should have been in place. You know, Uh, it's long overdue. 
So we thank you for pushing that. Absolutely. Every Christmas, there are thousands of people that will have an empty place at at the Christmas table because somebody decided that they would be judge, jury, and executioner. Mm-hmm. And to take away an opportunity for a mother, a father, daughter, or son in the holidays, walk down the aisle with their child to engage in anniversaries and parties because they abuse their authority and because they just didn't care. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me more than anything. People just don't care. This would be a preservation of life. There's mm-hmm. over 2,100 people a year that get killed. There's over 6,000 people a year that die in prisons or police departments while in custody. So something has to stop. Mm-hmm. And this is one way to prevent death, unnecessary death, because of people's actions. Yeah. And it's, it's needed. It's necessary. It is so necessary. You're so right. Because, uh, you know, these men, they should be here. Your nephew should be here. Mm-hmm. So you are right. So, Liz, let me ask you, as as being the co-founder of the Hope 929 Foundation and also a councilwoman, and so you have some experience in the in the local government, like how has that influenced your work um, around, you know, this work that you're doing advocating for social justice and equality? So. I want to say advocating for social justice and equality is my primary focus because that's Mm -hmm. what I started doing. You know, through my works and serving the community led me to become an elected official serving the community as a councilwoman. And they tie together. You know, I'm, I'm for the people. I'm for the underdog. It's been passed down from my father who was a freedom fighter in the 60s. And that was instilled. These beliefs have been instilled in me my whole life. You know, and my mother was a school nurse, so she had a servant heart to serve those in need who need medical assistance, serving the the life skills children. And then I also attended programs, um, those twelve step programs, to support people in recovery in my family growing up. So at a young age, I was hearing stories of of people struggling with an, a disease. So it's. All of that, my my life story, flash forward to today, has propelled Ellen and I to co-found this and implement the solutions that we're trying to in every community. Our goal is to implement our model in at least two of our models, or excuse me, in every state we want to implement the model that we are about to break ground here in Harrison. And as a elected official, you know, there's there's certain ways there could be conflict of interest, but you know, you just move in a way where you're folk, you compartmentalize. You know, as an elected mm-hmm. official, we're 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 supposed to be soundboard to the people and and what are their concerns. And then, you know, it's it's a small town government. You know, it's a small mm-hmm. town here. Arkansas is only thirteen thousand population, and and there's there's needs here. You know, while mm-hmm. we're we're not a very diverse community, it's becoming more diverse and. Uh, we're we're a hub to the Buffalo River where there's millions of tourists coming through to see the beautiful bluffs and the rivers and the waterfalls and the hiking and 
and we just want to, we want visitors to have a wonderful experience. So there's just, I don't know if I answered your question. There's just, there's a lot of factors yes. that tie in and, and have opportunity to build those positive social bridges. Right. And yes. Yes. Are, you should say, you should say when I get on a call mm-hmm. with, a, uh, with, uh, her, uh, uh, panel, uh, commission or whatever we get on mm-hmm. and they look at me like, Oh my God, think about this. George Floyd's uncle went to the most, supposedly the most racist town in the world, developed a partner and a friend. And now we're going to put a community housing project and a call center in supposedly the most racist town and George Floyd's uncle's involved. There, it don't get any better than that. It's incredible. It, it is. Does, it doesn't get any better than that. How you can go to a town that is supposed to be the racist town in the world, and we can develop a relationship with the community, with people in need. It don't get no better than that. That is what. It just goes to show that it's not. <laughs> the most racist and that's what we're trying to shift like just yeah. like black, black citizens in our country have been stereotyped have been at the, put at the end of the barrel have been silenced have been oppressed for centuries and you know they have these negative stigmas surrounding who they are because what they see on tv like and, and that was one of my goals in this community is because it's not as diverse as other larger cities, mm-hmm. people are, are going off of their understanding based on what they see on TV. And, and I just wanted to help educate and, and mm-hmm. enlighten and, and bring awareness. Like, look, and, and bring in people from other towns and states to say, hey, you know, this is who we are. We're all human on the same human level. But it goes to show that Harrison, Arkansas, because of their ability to collaborate and and want to respond in a positive way and, and see how can we become better. That's what it's about. We have to meet people yeah. where they are, no matter their background. And let me, Why? And let me tell you something. Let me, uh, mm-hmm. let me tell you something. They got one of the finest catfish restaurants there is around. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Seven, yes. Uncle Seven about loves hushes. catfish. Shout out, shout Uncle, out Uncle Seven love, uh, Yeah, Uncle Seven loves catfish, girl. And I went there and there wasn't nobody in the place that looked like me. And I had a ball, girl. I ate like six types of banana pudding, like four mm-hmm. pieces of whole catfish, girl. So I got, <laughs> hey, I got two thumbs up for Harrison, Arkansas. Hudson's holler out at you. <laughs> That's right. I love catfish too. Okay. I understand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You need to, you need to come and see us. In Harrison, Arkansas, on the groundbreaking, and I think okay. I could probably find you. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure I could find you a meal or two. Okay, enjoy together. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm a big foodie too. Okay. <laughs> oh God, yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I well, love we'll it. have to come see it's, you in Maryland. We'll have to come see you in Maryland and you show us the spots too. Cause yeah, we're oh yeah, we got you. some good stuff too. <laughs> um, we have some, we are real big on seafood. So like the crab, oh, yeah, the crab fish, Girl, all the that. Wharf, the wharf, the wharf, the wharf. See, in see I grew up, 
I grew yes. up spoiled on on Alaskan king crab, salmon, oh, halibut. Oh, you know? yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she be talking that fancy stuff, but Nate, I'm on country boy from North Carolina. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I can't even spell lobster or crab. <laughs> and I like catfish. I like to catch this. Yes. <laughs> you know? I... And and this and this is a beautiful thing about me and this crazy person, man. We had developed a relationship that it works, you know. Mm-hmm. We talk and banter and sometimes, you know, I feel like I got a little sister. I feel like I gotta protect them because she'd be like, Come on, man. Can't talk about catfish everywhere you go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we gotta promote good well, health. I- don't use don't don't use lard. Use uh, peanut butter oil. Then, if that's the case. No, I did not say that. Come on, now you're putting words in my mouth. Come on now. You, you see? <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Oh my goodness. You know. Yeah. Yes. All we want to do is make a difference. He's on our toes, definitely. Yes. We have a board. Well, you know what? We have a board. You you gotta balance each other out. So, it works. You gotta balance the other, the yeah, other, yeah. you know. So it, it's 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 all good. I love it though, because not only yeah. are you guys doing amazing work to make change, but you're showing that yes, we can work together no matter what we look like, no matter where we come from. We can work together. So I love that. That's how it's supposed Thank to be, you. dear. Because think about this. I agree. We only come in this world for a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. 75, 80 years. So why can't we try to make this a better place than when we came in than when we leave there because people being people of color and some of my speeches, Lene, I will I will create a scenario. And this is one of the scenarios that I'll create. Mm-hmm. How many people would like to trade places if your population has been lynched, hung, burnt, raped, disrespected, humiliated, ashamed having to go to a different bathroom, having to go in the back door to eat. Now, hold on for a second. I want anyone to raise their hand if you'd like to trade places. And what I'm describing is an American, African-American individual, man or woman. So would anybody want to trade places? Would anybody want to trade places? Could you raise your hand? Nobody ever raises their hand. Well, if you wouldn't want to trade places, why would you go along with the mistreatment of a whole race, of a whole population? Mm-hmm. And people look at me and they go, okay. Never really thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we have an opportunity to do is to make people think. That's what George gave us. All those people that watched that video over and over and over again, you knew that when you turned your television on, when you started seeing that feed, in a matter of minutes, you knew that that black guy was not going to leave, and it was wrong. And mm-hmm. every possible human way that there is, it was wrong. It was. So we got something to work with. We have something to work with, and we will be working this day until I get 122. Hopefully, the grease don't kill me before then, but I'm so going <laughs> to. I'm uh, telling him. I'm trying, I'm, Linnea, I'm trying telling to get out there. <laughs> last night, last he called. He called me this morning. Oh, He's like, "Man, last night, stop I had, this, stop <laughs> this. 
Lene, I, I'm Lene, trying to help him I take care of himself so he can stick around. We need the uncle of the movement. Is all we I'm do, saying. We do. Lene, we do. We do. We don't have an MLK. Lene, we don't, don't you start, girl. Don't, have... don't you start, girl. Don't oh, start, Lene. We got to tell you. Lene, we got to tell you this because, uh-huh. as well as Hope Nine Two Nine, we established a podcast called Setting It Straight with Selwyn. It's on. It's we partnered up with Revolver. Excuse me, I can't even talk. Revolver Podcast, which is on all podcast platforms. And what we do is we lift the voices of the impacted family members. We bring on people like Nelson Mandela's grandson, mm-hmm. Nadaba Mandela, who's doing amazing things and just highlight success stories. So, you know, when you're not listening to Linnea's show, Unpacking the Box, you got to come over to Setting It Straight with Selwyn and, and hear yes. some of the conversations we're having over there. Yes. We have a radio show now that we do. And she keep harping on me. Last night, Linnea, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> okay. You now, we had a conversation, you know, and we talk when the babies go to bed. And I, she stresses me out sometimes, Linnea, and what I do is I can't control my fork and my spoon. Oh, it's you know my I mean? fault. <laughs> yeah, it's my fault. Your fault. I have, I have to call life. his wife. Thank God for Joey. Joey is his wife. They own a hotel in their house, and she's been my soundboard. I have to get advice from her on how to work well with her husband. Wow. (laughs) Listen, Liz, stop, Liz, stop (laughs) doing that to Linnea. Now, leave alone, leave alone, Liz. So last night, she had me in a stressful situation, Linnea. Okay. That was probably an an 18-ounce steak in my refrigerator at (laughs) one thirty in the morning, and it was looking lonely. It was looking lonely. It needed to go home. (laughs) And then there was some sweet corn. Then there was some sweet corn, and then there was some banana pudding, Linnea. And I mm-hmm. just thought that all those <laughs> stuff placed, I, I thought all of those things were misplaced at one thirty in the morning. <laughs> and, girl, I sat down, and, and I went to munching, and I went to munching, and I went to munching, and... Yeah, Linnea, and this morning I feel guilty, because I ate all of that <laughs> food last night, and... I don't feel guilty at all, dear, because I'm trying to eat lunch here in a minute. But anyhow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you see what you, so dear, oh my all goodness. the listeners out there, you can see, see what we deal with. You know, <laughs> he is he is a comic relief. And, and like you said, you know, we, we have a serious mission, but I think it's important yes. to bring the lightheartedness, to, to find those mo- moments to be joyful and laugh. Because my goodness, how much pressure do we have in society today? Yes, as a it's a lot. As a father, I, as a mother, as, as a student. Well, you I know what, Uncle Selwyn, that that food is okay. It's it's, it's okay in, in moderation, in moderation. So you know, yes, yes, <laughs> Linnea, I got a I got a lot of nice shoots that uh, you know, the big boy <laughs> shoot drove a thirty eight. You know, and all the pretty suits are under thirty eight. So you know, three weeks ago, Linnea, I was I was fitting them suit perfectly. Mm-hmm. I had to put on one the other day, girl. I had to put on one the other day, girl, and I almost did the girl thing. I almost had to lay down on the bed to get the pants on, girl. <laughs> so I got to stop the madness. Yes. I no more, much, madness, no more munching in the morning. And I got to stop the... I, Linnea, I don't munch. I eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I eat. You are funny. Linnea, I eat... T- I eat till my jaw get tired. You know what I'm saying? Most people okay, eat no. feel, yeah, uh, no, we, you know, feel that voice. Liz, you go, yeah, uh, I, I understand. No, you can't, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be I doing that. Oh, my God, girl. 
<laughs> oh my God, girl, the jaws oh get tired. God. That's Uncle hey, Sherwood, you're showing people, them your true colors, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Transparency people in, is important. <laughs> yeah. People in podcast land, remember, do not eat. Listen to Uncle Sherwood. Do not eat until your jaws get tired. That will make you a little chunky, like Uncle Sherwood is right now, but we're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I love the PSA. I love it. Okay. Yes. So, so Uncle Sherwood, I want to... I want to ask you this last thing. So I know that that we we came up on the third anniversary of George Floyd's passing on May 25th, 2023. And I know you're working towards establishing May 25th as George Floyd for uh, for every day. So how are you? Uh, how is that coming along? And, and, you know, where are you with that? You know, I would like to establish George Floyd for every day. So everybody will know and remember when the change happened. Because there was something that happened from watching my nephew that changed the narratives of a lot of people's thoughts and a lot of people wants. There's been no not warrant taken away. There have been different policies created because of my nephew's death. Mm -hmm. So I just want a day for everybody to just know that this was a sad, but this was a day of change, the day that George Floyd died. People remember when uh, the uh, Trade Center got bombed. You remember when the space shuttle blew up. Yeah, teacher, you'll never remember, you'll never forget the day you seen George Floyd land on the street saying, I can't breathe. My neck hurts. Mama. So I just want people to all to know and, and, and understand that that was a day of change in this world that we've never seen. Mm -hmm. So why not make that day, that day when everybody just realizes, hey, this is a day. I can't breathe. Shaw. And literally happened in my lifetime because nobody's ever seen anything like that. And they probably will never see anything like that again. And I just want people to know today that my big sister's baby boy took his last breath to make change for us because he could have died any place else. He could have died in a field, in a barn, in the back of a abandoned house. But the Lord saw fit for a good person that had a bad situation, mental health issues, demons, addiction. Mm he -hmm. put him in a light to make a difference. And that, people tell me they're sorry. I, I, I'm sorry for your loss. I am sorry that I don't get to see my big baby Perry. But mm -hmm. what I am proud of is him giving me an opportunity to sit here and to have this conversation with you so I can make a difference. Mm -hmm. from his life. Mm -hmm. And you That's are. That's what I think about George Floyd. And we're moving, we're moving, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things, dear, that we have to uh, continue our fight, continue our push. And as we fight and as we push, things happen. You know, we've got a, we've gotten in contact with a couple of uh, mayors 
in towns, and we're going to start it that way. That's the reason why we create events so we can go into towns and show people what we're about. We're collaborating with a young man in Charlotte, Avery, and Liz mentioned earlier. And the yeah. theme of this one is pick up the gun, put down the guns, pick up no. the weights. Well, we're going to have some more events. Put down the guns, pick up the pad. Put down the guns, pick up a, a instrument. Put down the guns, pick up a, a book. Put down mm-hmm. the ins- I put down the guns, pick up the script. So we have to have youth initiatives put in place because that's where we work from is with, with people with people your age and Liz's age mm-hmm. because y'all have not been y'all have not been scripted in any way shape or form. So we start at so, the so adolescent there's, age. There's an opportunity for for those older generations to unlearn and and because I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of older generations become active, but as he says, you know, it's so important to get the youth involved mm-hmm. and become aware and know that, know it's important for them to cultivate their innate abilities, their gifts, what excites them, you know, because Liz, in this, the Liz, way our Liz, system is, we get off track. Mm-hmm. Me and Liz, I yeah, always we bump do. heads on this. We bump heads on this. <laughs> because I believe, I believe, Lamea. In this world, a certain group of people run the world, and mostly it's people over 55. So I honestly believe that I won't see a big change in my lifetime because I'm over that number. So I honestly believe that all the people over 55 have to go away before your age, your group, your generation can come up and make that big step. So. Mm-hmm. We are preparing y'all, the twenty five, the twenties and the thirties, to take this mantle and to make it different. When y'all get fifty five or sixty, then that means mm-hmm. that all the old people gotta go. You know, because mm-hmm. it's hard to teach old dogs new tricks. You can teach them new tricks, but it's hard. And mm-hmm. being African Americans, we ain't taught nobody no new tricks in what oh five hundred years when it comes down to us. Mhm. That's the yeah. only point that I'm making. Yeah, I I just, I just I see both of your points. I understand. I'm so happy that I got a chance to talk to you both. You are making such 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 a great impact. I mean, for 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 our children, like I have um I did a uh poll episode. It was called uh a couple episodes back. It's called the Black King's Perspective, and I basically interviewed uh black men from the ages uh, two of my sons I interviewed and then some other black men and they were from the ages of 13 to like in their mid 40s. And I was asking them about how they feel about police brutality and the things, you know, how they feel like when they're driving in the car and they see a police officer by them or things like that and most of them had the same yeah most of them had the same answer some of them said that they were fearless they didn't they didn't fear the cops but most of them yeah they felt nervous and you know and i just wanted to show how you know how these men feel you know how they're they're fearful when they see cops mm-hmm. when they're just doing you know going about their daily activities they're trying to go to work go to the gym or whatever and you know when a cop approaches you know they they are fearful fearful and then my son who is 13 
um, you could hear the innocence in his answers. He's like, well, no, I don't. You know, when I see a cop, I'm not really nervous. Um, I've asked him something about how does he feel like he's been, you know, experienced racism. And he's like, no, his innocence, you know, and I'm just comparing all the answers. Yeah. And it's just it's just like it's it sometimes it's mm-hmm. mind boggling. And it's also frustrating because mm-hmm. he's a child. and He's so this innocent, is what I would go. you know, right. This is where I would go with that. People of my age, Lene, mm-hmm. remember, we used to go to school with gun racks in our truck, in our mm-hmm. cars, and we could take guns to school when, in, my, in, in my age group, you know, that, that late 50s, early 60s. We literally had gun racks in our, in our, in our cars and trucks and schools, and I didn't fear police. When I was a kid, because there wasn't all these crazy demonic things going on. If you heard of a murder in my town, it mm-hmm. was big history. And there wasn't any shootings. So that 20 to 40 range is when all this chaos started happening. When Columbine started back in, what, 92, 93? Mm-hmm. That's when a lot of this chaos started being created. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. then started, yep. Yep. And since then, it's just been absolute chaos, dude. We had over five like the, ha- the hatred has been exposed. Yeah. Yep. And through other events as well. Linnea, I, what you said just made me think of that question. When do our sons stop being viewed as cute and start being viewed as a threat? You know, mm-hmm. you talk about the innocence of your child. Mm-hmm. And then w- when does that shift occur? What what age is that? You know, and, and that, that's an unfortunate thing in our society that mothers of black children have to face. And yeah. it's it's a legitimate fear because because of what has occurred yeah. for centuries and what we're still seeing Mayor, happening. Mm-hmm. I know five we cases have to right it. now. Yeah. I know five cases right now that kids mm-hmm. under the age of 15 years old 14. Got, mm-hmm. got murdered, got murdered. One kid got murdered for eating grapes in a store. One kid got uh, murdered for over a bottle of water. Wow. Over a bottle of One water. One kid got, got mur- murdered in right in front of his apartment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Yep. For that nothing. Is for nothing. Ridiculous. So, you it's know, sad. It's we, scary. Got a, we got a lot of work. We got a lot of work to do. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got a uh, short time to do it in. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, I just know that times between the last person that had an opportunity that made an impact in this world, that was in the mid-60s. Mm-hmm. So we've spent a long time before there was a selling, before there was a push. So, you know, I got to push this like head girl. Because uh, I can't give up, I will not give up, and I won't it's give up. Mm-hmm. That's why we thank you for having but us here today, Vanessa. Yep, I do. You are so welcome. Time. Yes, I had so much fun talking to you. I learned so much as always. I know the audience is going to learn a lot. Um, you know, this is impactful for so many people. This is a necessary conversation, and we need to keep having these conversations. And I'm so happy Absolutely. that you guys. Yeah, that's good. That, that, you know, this creates a domino effect when it comes to dialogue because that's the problem. You know, we have been sweeping certain things under the rug and we can't do that anymore. We have to expose Mm -hmm. it um, so that we can make a change. So let the people know where they can keep up with all your endeavors and everything, your handles, your website, all that good stuff. 
Liz, go at Absolutely. it. Yeah, our website is hope929.org. We are revamping our website. We haven't put any updates recently, but more to come very soon. Hope929.org. Reach out, Liz, at Hope929. If you have a question, Uncle Sowen at Hope929.org is our emails. If you want to reach us, reach out to us directly. We were here to listen. If you have any ideas to implement, tune in to the conversations on Setting It Straight with Selwyn. Our our handle on social for that is Setting It Straight Selwyn. Elizabeth S. Darden is mine. Uncle Selwyn, what's your, what's your handle for your personal account? Uncle Selwyn Jones. Uncle Selwyn, holler at your boy. Any day, <laughs> all day. Send me some groceries <laughs> for free catfish if you want to. Okay. You know, I'll pay you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Y'all, y'all heard it. Yes, y'all heard him. Reach out to us. Reach out to us. And you know, we like Liz said, we love to hear people's opinions and thoughts. If anybody is in a traumatic situation and you need to talk or air it out, hey, hit us up. A lot of people do that, man. Because mm-hmm. everybody needs somebody to show that they care. And I care about all of God's children because I'm one of them. So God mm-hmm. bless you and thank you for for giving us an opportunity. And I hope the podcast listeners uh, enjoyed me and Liz's conversation. We didn't fight too much on this one, y'all. So we're okay today. <laughs> we're okay. Yes. Well, I, it's I not am not that sure. bad. You make it sound bad. <laughs> you know, Linnea, no, it's not bad, man. It's not bad. Uh, no, it's, it's all good. It was God a, bless y'all. Yeah, it was a it was a great conversation. And hey, if you know, thank you. Maybe one day stay in contact with Liz. Maybe we can return the favor. You can come on our show and talk a little bit. Yes, that would be awesome. I would definitely keep in contact with you both. Because Mm -hmm. one thing you one thing you said reminded us of an event that we went to a few weeks ago in St. Louis when you had that panel and the conversation. It's important to provide a space, a safe space for black men and boys to have conversations. And Dr. Marty K. Casey established Black Sunday, S-O-N-D-A-Y. It's an official holiday now mm-hmm. to do exactly what you did over there. So th- we just got to connect the dots, Linnea. That's what it's about. Yes. And you know what? That's and why I did that because I do a lot of work with women, uh, uh, little girls and, and women and women empowerment. I, I, I mentor women and girls. And I said, you know what? We have to create a comfortable, safe space, just like you said, Liz, for men, because a lot of times men are not allowed to release their emotions. And that is what I wanted to do with that episode. I wanted the men to be able to say whatever they felt, you know, so that was important. Awesome. I'm proud of you. Thank you for what you're doing as well. God bless you, sister. And thank you. And hey, man, if you need us, let us know. We'll be glad to come out to Maryland. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. And I will have we, we have got, some catfish, catfish ready for you. Okay, but just yeah. a little bit, and it might be <laughs> like grilled <laughs> and baked. Okay, because that's healthier. Oh, with some, you know what, Linnea? Yeah. Bye, Linnea. Bye, Linnea. <laughs> right. I'm done with you, girl. I'm done with you, girl. I'm thank done with y'all so Not only is Linnea an amazing podcaster, she is also an independent entrepreneur. Check out her many creative endeavors, such as her women's magazine, Unpacking Her Magazine which highlights women in business and in all creative areas. In addition, she has an online store, Unpacking Hoodies and Tees, that entails words that will be sure to uplift you. She is a self-published author of two books, and counting that can be found on Amazon. You can visit and learn more about Linnea's projects by clicking on the link in the show's notes 
or visit Linnea's Instagram page at unpacking underscore the underscore box underscore podcast and click on the link in the bio. Yeah.